Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode 278 of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast for Thursday, September 20, 2012. On today's show, we're going to be uh, discussing a new AAFP report that was just released two days ago entitled Primary Care for the 21st Century, Ensuring a Quality Physician-Led Team for Every Patient. Um, and uh, joining me uh, in just a few minutes are our good friend Dr. Jerry Tolbert, the host of the Here's to Your Health podcast and also from Total Access Physicians. So we'll be talking about that. And there's some other topics that we'll be talking about during this podcast. All that coming up on episode 278 of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. And of course, opening the show, my good friend, the president of the American Academy of Family Physicians, this is Dr. Glenn Stream. Um, this year, one of my commitments and, and a great interest is to be more engaged with you as leaders, chapter leaders, uh, and, and our frontline membership. Uh, on, on Monday, a Twitter handle, I'm privileged to be the first one to hold, uh, at AFP Prez, P-R-E-Z. I already have 29 followers. I feel so proud. Um, I have a long, long way to go to catch up to uh, our current student board member, Kevin Bernstein, who has a little over 1,000. Um, and our, uh, our king of family medicine social media, uh, Mike Sevilla, who has uh, nearly 7,000 uh, members. Medicine and social media. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. I'm your host, Family Medicine's talk show host. I don't know. I'm just making up titles for myself. Hey, my name is Mike Savella. Hey, what's this show about? Uh, this show is by a family physician for the growing community of family medicine, of which you are now a part of just by listening to this show. Thank you so much for that. Uh, I invite you to check out my digital library of stuff at uh, FamilyMedicineRocks.com. Shout out to all the people who follow me on Twitter. All 10,126 people follow me on Twitter. Thank you so much for that. And also shout out to all 527 people who like the Facebook page for this show. Today is Thursday, September 20th, 2012. It is noon Eastern time. And uh, here at Family Medicine Rocks World Headquarters here, fall has set in here, and uh, temperature here is 64 degrees Fahrenheit. And uh, how's your week been going, kids? Uh, it's been crazy busy as usual around here. Fall has descended upon uh, northeastern Ohio and started to see some of the leaves turn around uh, out there. So uh, maybe I'll have some pictures up on FamilyMedicineRocks.com to show you, especially people who don't enjoy fall or not able to enjoy the leaves out there. I'll put that out there. Uh, so coming up in a few minutes will be my uh, good friend, Dr. Jerry Tolbert, uh, family physician extraordinaire 
from uh, TotalAccessPhysicians.com and the host of the Here's to Your Health uh, podcast. We're going to be discussing this report uh, from our friends at the American Academy of Family Physicians just uh, uh, released two days ago. And you can go to aafp.org uh, to check it out. The uh, title of the white paper or position statement is called uh, uh, Primary Care for the 21st Century, Ensuring a Quality Physician-Led Team for Every Patient. What does that mean? That's kind of confusing in there. Not really, but uh, for people who, you know, don't do this every day or for the uh, uh, for the uh, citizen out there who uh, is not familiar with that, we're going to be defining what all of that means and kind of what the controversy is somewhat behind that. And I'll also be talking about uh, Dr. Tolbert's uh, podcast there, and uh, uh, some of it maybe maybe he'll give us a little preview on some of his uh, uh, future topics there. And also going to be talking about the coming up uh, the uh, National Primary Care Week um, from uh, our friends at uh, Primary Care Progress and also the American Medical Student Association. Uh, October 8th through the 12th is uh, National Primary Care Week, and uh, we'll be talking about some unique things that they're trying to do over there to raise awareness, some good stuff over there. Uh, so um, I think I have all my uh, opening stuff here uh, completed here. So, uh, uh, But first, I do want to thank Walk Talk Radio for having me be a featured host here. I want to thank everybody for supporting the show last the last couple shows as you know especially uh, show number 276 and show number 277 with uh, dr ted epperly and uh, dr um rob uh, lamberts uh, respectively and a uh, little bit of a, a healthcare uh, reform type of theme for the last uh, couple of shows including this show as well so i want to thank everybody for getting this show into the top 10 um of those in the health category here at uh, Blog Talk Radio. So uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, all right. So uh, in the pre-show, this is a little behind the scenes here, kids. Uh, in the pre-show here, uh, <laughs> Jerry was uh, in his car <laughs> driving around. And he was going to the office. So uh, we'll see what happens when, <laughs> when we bring him up on the line here after this break. You're listening to the Family Medicine Rocks podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Family Medicine Revolution. Just Google FM Revolution for more details. And also a proud member of the ProMed Network of Podcasts. You can go to promednetwork.com. Dr. Jerry Tolbert will be coming up right after this. Throughout the show, that is the unstoppable force of family medicine. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. And on the line with us, our good friend, the host of the Here's Your Health podcast from TotalAccessPhysicians.com, Dr. Jerry Tolbert is with us. Uh, Jerry, uh, did you get there okay? You, you doing okay there, buddy? 
Yes, I made it to the office. Oh, gosh, as I dropped my phone. But I, I made it to the office, and uh, I am here in one piece, and uh, hopefully won't have all that background road noise. <laughs> uh, so, so how's uh, how's life there in Kentucky these days, everybody? Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's fall up here. As I would imagine it's uh, it's uh, the leaves are turning and getting ready for a nice uh, fall season down there. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, we are probably in that same temperate zone as you guys. We don't get quite as much snow, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, nice, balmy, sixty-eight degrees here and uh, beautiful weather uh, for the last couple of days. But it's really nice. All right. Well, let's kind of dive into this here. So, um, um, and uh, at least in the family medicine community, this report has been generating some buzz, and uh, um, and and this is very timely for this podcast. And um, you know, we're going to be talking about this a little bit. So, let me just kind of break things down here, kids, uh, just to to let everybody know. And especially the last couple of, of of episodes of this podcast, I encourage you to check out episodes 276 and 277. I mean, it's you know, it's no secret, you know, that, uh, you know, healthcare is changing. Primary care is is changing. Um, and uh, this report, uh, you can go to aefp.org to uh, check it out. It's called Primary Care for the 21st Century, Ensuring a Quality Physician-Led Team for uh, Every Patient. And um, it, one of the, the, the initial uh, themes and statements of the of the report is, you know, is, is, is the United States is moving uh, to a new primary care model uh, called the patient-centered medical home where each person has an ongoing relationship with a personal physician who provides continuous comprehensive care. A uh, physician leads a team of professionals to, to care for patients. And, you know, and Jerry, I mean, you know, this is, this is something that, you know, you and I have talked about. This is something we talk about in our community. And, and I think, you know, this concept of the home, of the, of the uh, patient said a medical home or a medical home, I think it's really starting to resonate out there. Are you, are you hearing that with the people that you're talking to as well? Most definitely. We just had our Kentucky Medical Association meeting last week, and uh, it went really well. But uh, one of the things that they did talk about was this this patient-centered medical home concept. It was on the fringes, but in most conversations, especially with the other primary care physicians, it was coming to the forefront. Uh, and, and also, you know, this from from this report, there, there's a few other things you know that, that they that they lay out here. The first, the personal physician coordinates with other. Healthcare providers within the uh, patient-centered medical home, quality and safety are hallmarks, and patients and their families uh, actively participating in, in decision making, and enhance care, uh, enhance access to care through open and same-day scheduling. And you know, and where you're at there, uh, Jerry, I mean, you, you know, you you, you kind of have this you know new model um, out there. It, it's getting increased access uh, to physicians and uh, getting them um, you know a little bit more care. Uh, um, you know, you, you, you've talked about it on the show before, but can you just, you know, people who, who are not familiar uh, with it, I mean, can you give us just a little bit of a, of a snapshot or, or, or a little bit of a of summary of, of the, the model of care that, that you have there at, uh, at your practice? Sure. Um, I was listening to Dr. Epperly, and he was kind of talking about how we fit into direct primary care, or as direct primary care, which is what we call ourselves, fits into this patient-centered medical home. And he hit a lot of the high points. I, I I need to give him a call, I guess, and fill him in on a couple of things because the um, one of the things that we do is is we're designed to facilitate communication, which is really what this report kind of points out. Um, physicians are essentially the gatekeepers for communication when it comes to health information. And as a direct primary care practice, we just take that one step further and say, you know what, uh, let's go back to the old days where you had a doctor and that doctor was the one that you saw every time you went to the office and you 
when you call to ask a question, especially a medical-based question, you talk to the physician or you talk to somebody who can actually answer the question rather than somebody who says, hold on, let me get the doctor. Um, and, and so, so it's, it's the idea of putting, removing all of those barriers between the patient and the physician. And I think that's a lot of what this you know, patient-centered medical home is about, taking away a lot of those barriers, re- reintroducing the relationship between the patient and the physician, which is, which is sort of paramount. That's sort of the whole point of having a doctor is, is the relationship part of it because it allows us to kind of get, you know, one of the things that we talk about with direct primary care is, is being able to talk directly to your physician if you have a problem. And, you know, if, if you've got a what, what is now considered a traditional practice, very rarely can you talk to the physician without kind of coming into the office. And that's, that's, a, that's a shame, actually, because that's the way that we find out about each other. That's the way that, you know, who better than your personal physician knows whether or not, uh, you know, symptom A may be related to your gout or to your blood pressure than the person who diagnosed you with gout or high blood pressure. So, so it, it's that idea of, of becoming more personalized and less uh, corporate. And, and what we do know is that there's, there's been some uh, um, studies out there, specifically on the patient-centered medical home, and, and uh, you know, and it'd be too many for me to quote here. But, but in general, I mean, we do know that that it, uh, you know, that uh, it is uh, cost-efficient. It does give higher quality of care, and, and there's there's more satisfaction all around. There's more satisfaction from patients. There's more satisfaction from physicians. There's more satisfaction from providers. Um, and I would imagine, Jerry, that you know, being you know, in that type of model, it may not be exactly what it is, but you do have some concepts of it. I mean, I, I and and you've been you know, kind of in this type new model for a few months now, and and I would imagine that, you know, that <laughs> your headaches are, <laughs> and the frustrations that you had previously, you know, are are probably not there now. That's very true. My. My biggest experience is, is in residency, and of course that's a that's a different animal sometimes than, than actual private practice. But my dad, for sure, has seen a huge drop off in the number of, of headaches, quote unquote, that he has to deal with. And the, the, the thing you know you mentioned in integrating patients in our medical home into what we do. You need a team when you don't have time. You know, what the, the whole purpose of a team is to delegate, you know, to, to allow other people to take care of the things that, that they are capable of doing when you don't have the time to do them. And one of the things that, that direct primary care does is we are, part, we are a large part of the team. I don't need a team when I have the time to do my own blood draws, when I have the time to answer my own phone calls. And I think that's part of the reason that the patient-centered medical home came into being. And so, you know, for us, we are noticing after nine months, eight, you know, ten months also, ten months almost of doing this, we're noticing that that's the headache that we have the least problem with, is that we do the things that you would normally delegate, but we have the time to do them, so they're not as much of a hassle. And so the need to delegate them isn't quite as, as significant. Now, we are uh, still at a very, fairly low number of patients, not quite to 100 yet, but getting close. And so that makes a huge difference as far as, as these things go. However, that what we're finding is, is that even even if we were at capacity, if you scale up what we're doing right now, it's the time factor that's still going to be available. You know, we're still not going to be seeing 30 patients a day. We'd at most be seeing maybe 15 and probably not even that many. And that means that, you know, we can take the time during the day to actually do these other things and not have to delegate them. 
I think when you do have to delegate them, it's important to have somebody that you trust to do that with. And that's, you know, this report kind of talks about that. And I think that's kind of the thrust of this report. But, uh, but yeah, we, we really, we really enjoy um, being able to take that time and do those things. It, it's definitely, like you said, it, it's not a headache anymore to actually take care of people. Um, I guess on the line is uh, Dr. Jerry Tolbert, the host of the uh, Here's to Your Health uh, podcast, and we're, and we're discussing this uh, AAFP uh, report, the American Academy of Family Physicians report, uh, released two days ago on uh, September 18, entitled Primary Care for the 21st Century, Ensuring a Quality Physician-Led Team for Every uh, Patient. You can go to AAFP.org. Um, you can even download it yourself. It's a downloadable file, and you can you can read the whole thing um, yourself. Um, so, Jared, let's kind of dive in this a little bit. So how this kind of uh, came about was that, you know, everybody knows that there's a primary care shortage, um, and, um, you know, that there's a lot of numbers out there. Uh, you know, I've seen them up to 45,000 too few primary care physicians by 2020, um, which, you know, causes – you know, you and I and the American Academy of Family Physicians say, hey, we need more primary care doctors. Uh, but then the discussion shifts towards, well, we need more primary care providers and, uh, um, you know, pre- um, nurse practitioners, you know, come into uh, the discussion along with other mid-level uh, providers. Um, and, you know, and I just want to say, you know, right out front here, you know, that, you know, we, you know, we have a nurse practitioner in our office um, and uh, we work with the nurse practitioners, you know, that that person is part of the team. We're not against nurse practitioners, um, but this is kind of the, the you know, the, what they're saying here is that um, in this report is, you know, there's a lot of people out there, there's a lot of organizations who have said that nurse practitioners should be leading these patient-centered medical homes or leading these patient care teams, um, and we'll get into why, you know, um, the AFP doesn't think that they should, but that's kind of the thrust of the whole report. I mean, what, would you say that's right there, Jerry? Most definitely. I think it's the idea of, you know, using the team concept to to kind of restate the fact that, that the academy says, you know what, physicians are the ones that need to be the team leaders and need to be the core of that team, and that's where the patient-centered medical home idea came from. I think that, you know, the Institute of Medicine report, there's a quote in the in the article that talks about the Institute of Medicine report from 1996 that talks about, you know, I'm just going to read the quote. If this primary care is the provision of integrated, accessible health care services by clinicians who are accountable for addressing a large majority of personal health care needs, developing a sustained partnership with patients, and practicing in the context of family and community. And it says clinicians, and I think that that is a broad term, but I think that that definition, you know, it, it is referring directly to a physician-patient relationship. Uh, now, I think sometimes we try to swing the too far to the other direction where, where there's not that relationship, and I think that's where the team falls apart. So that's kind of the, that's the thing that I, that I worry about most. And, 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 again, I think it all comes back to time. I think if we had more time to sit down and do the things that we need to do, this wouldn't be as much of an issue. Um, and and you know, some of the other things in this report, um, and, and this is great infographic uh, for people who are, you know, graphically inclined uh, that kind of maps out, um, you know, kind of a summary of the report at AEFP.org. Uh, um, and we should say, you know, as part of this podcast that, you know, um, <laughs> you know, the views expressed by the host and the guests are not necessarily those of the American Academy of Family Physicians. So we're just, there's a couple of guys that's kind of, Kind of talking and reacting to this uh, to this report, but one of the things that that they do to try to delineate this, you know, is you know the the uh, years of education. 
Hello. Mike, I don't know if you can hear me, but I can't hear you. How about this? How's that? Yeah, that's better. <laughs> Gotta love technology here. I, I lost. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I lost my Skype. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna keep talking here. Um, so it, well, one of the things that they, that they outline here is, is the years of education and the years of training um, for a nurse practitioner and also a family physician. Um, you know, family physician has you know 11 years you know training. This this goes back to the bachelor's degree and and their MD or DO degree, which is another four years. It's four years and four years, and then a residency is three years, and that's kind of how you get to the number 11. Um, and just in general, what what they outline in this report is you know for a nurse practitioner, you have a bachelor's degree, four years, and a master's uh, that gets you five and a half to seven years because some states don't. Uh, you know, require a master's level of training, and you know what uh, what the academy is saying is that you know that uh, there's no way that that a, uh, a nurse practitioner would be able to lead a a, a patient-centered medical home or a patient-led team um, because of that uh, training, um, because physicians, especially family physicians, you know, are you know, they're they're trained to and they have a broader and deeper expertise in diagnosis and treatment of, of problems and complex diagnosis and and, and um, you know one one of the things interesting things that the stat that they that they bring out here is that three out of four patients prefer to be treated by a physician and, and believe patients benefit from the when a physician leads the healthcare team so these are some of the things that that we've been talking about you know at least in the in the uh, family medicine community. Um, but um, you know, I that's that's. Um, what do you think? What do you think about with that when you when you read that, Jerry? I, I do like that section. I mean, it, it does kind of very starkly present that, that information, that idea that you don't have to necessarily even have a bachelor's degree in order to go into the master's of nursing program to get the APRN degree. And, and I think that that five and a half years is the minimum that it can take, and that's not common, but it still happens. But that difference between five and a half years and 11 years doesn't seem huge when you're looking at it long term, but in the short term, that's a huge amount of training. And if I think about losing five years of the training that I underwent, I wouldn't be ready to, you know, work in an office, let alone have my own office. So, so I do see that that's a, that is a definitely a, a big division between, you know, what what experience you have and what what types of experience you have. That's the other part of that infographic you were talking about, though, or in the report itself. There's a second line like that that describes or breaks down how many hours you're spending doing those different things. And I think that that is very telling as well. It talks about that whole idea of having um, several hundred hours uh, over and above, you know, I think the difference was between 500 and 1,100 um, hours of of actual you know, patient care experience or training right. on certain specific things. And that, that in and of itself, to me, is, is very, very important. Um, but that's the difference between a team leader and a team player. And I think that there's no problem at all, you know, putting a, a nurse practitioner into a, a role to um, implement protocols and manage disease processes. I think that's fine. But leading the team and integrating all of that information, um, that's, that's a much higher level of, of not just specificity, but a higher level of training required to be able to do that adequately so that that um, 
that everyone involved get benefits. Yeah, and it's and, and this report is at AAFP.org, and uh, and and they do lay this out graphically in the report um, uh, as far as the hours. And I'm just going to lay this out for people for the family physician uh, training. You get uh, 2,700 hours of lecture, um, 3,000 preclinical hours, 6,000 clinical hours. So that is, you know, as you progress in your training, you know, some of that's classroom work, some of that is like in hospital work, as it defines clinical training. And, um, you know, 9,000 or 10,000 hours in residency, and that all adds up to 21,700 hours of training. And when they uh, outlined the nurse practitioner, um, 800 to 1,600 hours of lecture, um, between 1,500 and 2,250 hours of preclinical study, depending on your state and requirements, um, and clinical between 500 and 1,500 hours, and that total is 5,350 hours uh, compared to the family physician of 21,000 uh, 700 hours. And, uh, you know, I wasn't aware of that either, uh, Jerry. I mean, just kind of, you know, laying all that out, um, you know, we all know, we all knew that, you know, obviously a physician has more training, um, but kind of breaking it down that way, that was kind of surprising to me. Yeah, I agree. And, and there's actually a, um, you know, and before, you know, one of the common kind of arguments against that whole idea of, well, it's, it's you know, five and a half years to get the nurse practitioner, but then you can do kind of what you want at that point. And, and one of the arguments that's in the article itself, they, they talked to, you know, one of the directors of a, of a nursing program that was talking about how you choose to do that. You know that if you wanted to be a doctor, you could go to medical school, but instead you choose to do the, the nurse practitioner part of it. And you understand going in that, that it's not going to be the same level of, you know, requirements, not only for education, but also for, you know, what you're, what you're doing when you get out. Uh, it's a different type of training, and it's for a different type of job, and, and I think that needs to be more widely recognized um, just to make sure that people know that you're choosing to do that. It's not that you're doing that because you couldn't get into medical school. It's because you didn't, you know, you choose to do something different. So so I think that's important, too. And I think that that, that degree of difference in, in the number of hours, that is, is another thing. I mean, if you decide that you want to have a different lifestyle, you don't want to commit to 11 and a half years of training, but you still want to help people. I mean, I think that's a, that's a great way to do it. I think that you know you still have a level of training that's going to make you you know um, make you marketable and make you um, able to to better help people from a healthcare perspective. So so I think that recognizing that while still recognizing that it's not the same level of training that a physician receives is, is really what the report is pointing out there. Uh, now I'm going to read a statement here um, on balance. Um, from the uh, American Academy of Nurse Practitioners. I'm just going to read this uh, whole thing here. Um, and this is from September 19. Uh, it goes like this. Angela Golden, uh, president of the American Academy of Nurse Practitioners, uh, today issued the following statement. Uh, the AANP strongly supports patient-centered and team-based models. However, uh, the AANP believes that the uh, American Academy of Family Physicians' efforts to link these evolving models of care with the licensure of nurse practitioner practice are misdirected and out of step with today's environment. Uh, more specifically, the AAFP position is directly contrary to the recommendations of the Institute of Medicine and the National Council of State Boards of Nursing. In fact, a requirement for physician leadership of healthcare home as proposed 
uh, is inconsistent with the requirements set by the National Committee for Quality Assurance uh, and the Joint Commission, uh, each a well-known and respected organization currently accrediting uh, patient-centered medical care homes by nurse practitioners. As our nation looks to address healthcare provider uh, workforce challenges, we must embrace the diversity of care models that multiple uh, disciplines uh, sharing overlapping knowledge and skills can offer our country. For nearly half a century, nurse practitioners have been providing quality care and care provided by both nurse practitioners and physicians have uh, demonstrated that nurse, uh, uh, nurse practitioners have the same or better patient outcomes when compared to physicians. Making full use of nurse practitioner workforce in a, is a critical piece of a multi-pronged solution to address the urgent need for healthcare access in our nation. The ongoing attempts by the American Academy of Family Physicians to limit the ability of nurse practitioners to practice to the full extent of their education and training only serves to increase the already overwhelming hardships placed on millions of Americans who are struggling to gain access to high-quality health care prepared at the graduate level with master's degrees or doctorates. Nurse practitioners provide a variety of critical health services, including evaluating patients, making diagnosis, uh, ordering and interpreting diagnostic tests, writing prescriptions, and managing acute and chronic health conditions, including the oversight of patients with multiple complex chronic illnesses, Nurse practitioners are uh, providers of choice for millions of individuals and families. They are especially educated and prepared to care for vulnerable populations such as the elderly, the medically underserved, and those who live in rural areas that have more uh, acutely experienced uh, the primary care provider shortage. So last paragraph here. As the United States uh, implements historic changes in our healthcare system and the shortage of physicians continue to grow. Nurse practitioners must be full participants in the initiatives emerging from all corners of our industry in order to protect and preserve the health of our population. That is a statement released by the president of the American Academy of Nurse Practitioners um, in response to this AAFP report. So, um, so Jerry, I mean, you know, I mean, that's, uh, that, that that is the reaction that I would uh, uh, I would uh, expect. You know, of course, they are advocating for um, you know for nurse practitioners. I don't uh, disrespect them for that. Uh, uh, good for them. Um, so, I mean, it's it's something we would expect from uh, from the nurse practitioner community. I would presume. Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, I think everybody scrambles to try to protect their their little plot of land. I, I think that that's probably why we got into the mess that we're in now, but I'm not going to chase that rabbit. Um, I, I think that too many times instead of trying to work as a team, we try to work as individuals and try to put ourselves above everybody else. And, and, and I know that sounds kind of hollow after talking about after talking about being, uh, you know, being part of a team and trying to be part of a of a medical team and then telling, saying that we need to be leading them. I mean, I know that kind of rings a little hollow, but I think that instead of um, looking at us as leaders, coordinators or, or, or aggregators may be a better word for it. And I think that that's kind of the, the other issue is that, you know, defining roles is important, but you're right. I mean, it's a, it is the expected response. 
Um, and I guess it's finishing up this report from the uh, American Academy of Family Physicians. I mean, uh, their solution is more family physicians. And uh, they have a three-part uh, plan here that they outline in the report. Uh, one, increase the number of family physicians by increasing the support for primary care physician education. Number two, increase support for programs that help uh, medical students pay back or defray the burden of their medical school debt. Uh, so the option of a primary care medical career is truly available. And number three, improve primary care physician payment to encourage these students to consider family medicine for primary care for their careers. So, Jerry, I mean, it's a pretty, pretty, you know, simple solution. You know, more family docs, you know, fixing the payment system, fixing the reimbursement system, um, improving, you know, paying back student loans. I mean, this is something that the family medicine community, primary care community has been talking about forever, right? It is, and and I'll be I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute here, and I I agree that a lot of those things are going to help. I do, but I think that we're approaching the problem from the wrong side sometimes. Um, you know, the reason we need more family docs is because we've got a lot of folks that are un, that are utilizing their healthcare resources in ways that they weren't originally designed to kind of function. We made this we made this mistake of kind of selling ourselves as. Um, you know, it, that we have to take care of everything and every disease has to be treated and, and nobody's ever supposed to be in any amount of pain and nobody's ever supposed to have any kind of symptom. And I think that, that unfortunately what that's done is that it's, it's in, increased the number of visits that people are having for things that don't necessarily need a true doctor visit, you know, and, that, and I think that that's a failing in community education and public health. You know, this is me coming from my public health kind of soapbox. Um, you know, my I have... Uh, I, I went to the, the School of Public Health at University of Kentucky and, and I studied epidemiology there. And, and you know, honestly, I, I'm a, a big believer in the fact that, uh, you know, I know that, that patient education doesn't necessarily change outcomes to any large extent. It's a very small you know, you know, percentage that true education changes things. But, but changing the, the way the system, you know, functions and the way that people actually see the healthcare system, excuse me, the image of the healthcare system, if you will, that can potentially fix some of this issue. And I think that you're right. It is a simple solution in, in thought and in theory, but if we try to increase the number of primary care physicians, what we may run into is the same problem that we've already had because we're going to have more and more people. I mean, you're looking at, at scaling uh, the size of the population, and that's part of the reason why these numbers kind of come out, you know, depending on who you look at as far as the 23,000 or the 46,000 or the 100,000 or whatever missing family or primary care physicians. I think if we sat down and said, hey, you know what? Not every head cold needs to be seen by a doctor. How many visits do you think that would cut out for you in a week? Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and actually, we got a uh, we got a response on Twitter actually, uh, like uh, two minutes ago. So this is uh, real time. So th- this is from uh, uh, Twitter from uh, somebody named ICU Stat uh, who uh, identifies themselves uh, sounds like a uh, uh, nurse anesthetist. Um, but the comment goes like this, uh, that reminds me of the ongoing battle um, between the uh, nurse anesthetists and, and, and physicians, uh, <clears throat> all about disbursement of dollars, not about uh, patient outcomes. Uh, and, and I would disagree with that. Um, you know, I, I think what, what, what the patient center medical home is, is they're really pushing, you know, um, you know, more towards higher quality of care, lesser procedures, um, and, and and the other thing too was that I, I think that's kind of how primary care and, and family medicine got this in the first place is that is that family medicine didn't put up this fight years and years ago and let the procedural people uh, do their thing and, and that's why you know they are 
you know, that have all the, uh, you know, specialty and procedural dollars and, uh, you know, cognitive medicine, um, sitting, actually sitting down with the patient is not uh, paid for. So I don't know. I mean, but that's a good comment. I appreciate the the feedback there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it is, and it is the same thing. And, and there are, there are very large similarities between this because this is, I mean, a lot of it is unfortunately, and, and in, in my opinion, you know, poorly about money, but there there are parts of it that are very much about outcomes, like you said, and I think that that's that's something that we have to kind of show that not just your outcomes on a, a hemoglobin A1C, which is an important indicator, but it's not the be all end all. And that's you know not only is that where reimbursement is coming from, that's where some of these other numbers are coming from. You know they talk about in the article about how nurse practitioners do have sometimes better outcomes, and that's partly true. Part of that is that they have more time to deal with patients, they take more time to deal with patients because you know they're their reimbursements aren't necessarily based on the same. They're based on similar factors, but not always the exact same. And not only that, you know, if you look at the fact that that, you know, if we talk about and there's a, this is a quote from the article, the evidence that role revision increases healthcare efficiency or lowers costs is weak and contradictory. Healthcare planners need to be alert to the possibility that while non-physicians cost less to employ than physicians, savings on salaries may be offset by lower productivity and less efficient use of non-staff resources. And that last part, that less efficient use of non-staff resources, I think that's one of the things that that extra 500 or, or 2,000 or however many hours that was, 5,000 hours that we have as physicians, that's one of the extra things that teaches you, especially as a resident. One of the things that I remember learning is efficient management of resources. You know, my dad is very fond of asking the question, okay, what, what will I do if this test that I'm about to order is positive? And what will I do if this test is negative? And if you answer the exact same to both questions, then there's really no reason to order that test. And I think that's something that it takes a little bit of experience to really learn which tests are actually going to change the outcomes, which tests are actually going to be useful versus tests that we do to round out our algorithm or tests that we do to, you know, cover ourselves for legal services. I mean, that's that's part of the, the bigger picture here. And I think that this is, you know, this is the blind man and the elephant. We're looking at the tail of this elephant here and talking about these things between physicians and, and, and um, you know, non-physician providers. But we're not seeing a bigger picture here, which is that the, it's the healthcare system that's forcing us into this kind of position. So, so yeah, so there's, there's, there's a much, much deeper issue going on here. And I think that that's kind of the, the other big thing. Um, and a couple other things, then we'll move on. I mean, uh, that that. Uh, the uh, physician community is kind of uh, <clears throat> uh, getting behind this. Uh, there have been statements uh, from the American Academy of pa- Pediatrics, the American Medical Association, and the American Osteopathic Association supporting this uh, report. Um, and something interesting that the AFP is doing, at least on their Twitter feed, is that there seems like they are at replying um, a lot of people, uh, looks like some politicians and other, uh, I guess, kind of opinion leaders out there, uh, mm-hmm. trying a, a Twitter campaign to at least raise awareness. I'm not sure what other social media things that they're doing, uh, but that seems very interesting to me. Do you have a reaction to that, uh, Jerry? I, I don't I, I always think it's interesting when people beg for retweets, and I, I know it's not begging, it's asking, um, but it's the same idea of I think you're you're appealing to the right folks, but it, it's, it's sort of one of those things where if they're not aware of the issue, making them aware of the issue is important. And so I, I agree that that's, that's something that needs to be done. I think, too, that uh, the people they're approaching are, are some of the appropriate people. You want people that are in oversight positions to know what's going on and to, to be looking at these things not because of a lobbyist but because of the actual fact. 
And I think that's where we get into a lot of trouble on, on all, all of these government things. But I think here especially, it's whoever has the loudest lobby gets the most money. And, and I think that that's what we've got to be careful of. Uh, and I think they're trying to find a hashtag for this deal. It's fun. It's really interesting to try to, to um, you know, analyze this thing. And I've seen like MD for all, which I think is interesting. But um, I had some of uh, my uh, Twitter friends who are DOs saying, "How about MD or DO for all, or you know, something like that." I mean, there's not going to be one all-encompassing type of thing. But I, I think it's interesting uh, that the academy is trying to you know do this kind of social media campaign. I'm, I'm glad that they're that they're you know, trying to decide. I'm not sure what other things that they're trying to do from a social media aspect. Um, uh, you know, but you know, you're not going to help them with that. But but that's uh, I'm not bitter. No, uh, but uh, <laughs> but you know, I mean, you know, you know, this you know, this whole family medicine revolution that we have out here. I mean, you know, that they, I think they could have, you know, uh, you know, try to engage some of that. Maybe they tried to, and, and nobody really responded except us. Uh, but uh, it would have been interesting to try to coordinate that type of social media effort uh, to to raise awareness for this report. Um, having people from the uh, uh, not really uh, you know, academy staff, but but uh, but AFP uh, members um, trying, and maybe they are going to be doing that. I don't know. Maybe you know it's only been two days, so I have no idea. But it, it's it's interesting to me, kind of the, this kind of uh, social media campaign that they're trying to get out and, and to increase uh, uh, awareness of this report. And I don't know if that made any sense, Jerry. It did. It's it's. I mean, you're talking about modern warfare. That's this is the way that, that battles are won these days is by who has the loudest voice. It, it's unfortunate sometimes because sometimes the loudest voice isn't necessarily the correct information. But And I'm not saying that we have incorrect information. I'm not saying they have incorrect information. But but people listen to what they hear, and if they don't hear the whole story or if they only hear the bits and pieces that make you know side A or side B look good, then they don't make informed choices. They just make choices based on what they hear. So we, everybody's got to be careful when it comes to that kind of battle. You know, Jerry, I think they're listening to us uh, right now because uh, I'm scared of them. Because they 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 had they have an at reply to our friend ICU stat. Uh, just as we mentioned them on the show, they said, uh, "Is the AFP talking? Patient outcomes are the key driver for success. Using PCMH um, allows providers to play to their strengths." So uh, so thanks to AFP, and, and we take take back all the mean stuff that we said about you doing this show. <laughs> I take back most stuff. No, I'm joking. I take. Back. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, why do I feel like a, I'm not even gonna check my email for the next three days because I'm I'm afraid that uh, <clears throat> I may be taken to the principal's office or my uh, <clears throat> membership may be revoked or something. Wait, like I was just getting ready to say my membership's due for renewal here coming up this week. So, uh, or or, uh, or they're or they're gonna double my uh, uh, my fee or something like that. Yeah, I need to pay mine now so they don't double it. I guess. <laughs> Maybe I should pay my membership fee right after this show. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We'll go online and pay our member fees. And, and I guess, uh, you know, I've got an official position now, so I've got to be careful, too. This, these are all my own comments. They have nothing to do with the uh, National, National Conference of Special Constituencies or any of the special constituencies that, that I will represent in the coming year. That's right. I, I, I will take the hit for you, uh, Jerry. You know, uh, to, to, don't take anything that Jerry says. It's my fault. Um, because uh, it, it's a well-known fact that, uh, <clears throat> that that they don't like me at all. <laughs> <laughs> they just know that you like to stir, stir the pot. Is that, is, that, is that enough cover for you? You know, because uh, you know you, yeah, you're, you're just starting you're starting your business. I don't want to. Uh, I don't That's want true. To. But pe- people know that I say what I think. I mean, I don't 
pull punches. And I, I do listen to what other people have to say. I'm very cognizant of, of other people's opinions, and I try to see things from their side. So I don't, I'm not saying that anything I'm saying is, is the way things have to be. I'm just throwing out there the way that I, I see things and the way that I hear things and the way that I think we may be able to make a bigger impact. Um, all right, so we have a few minutes here. you, you have any closing thoughts on this on this topic? I mean, I, th- I think we've said it all. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's uh, it's it's about physician-led teams, you know, and and uh, this report very much lays it out. Go to aafp.org and download it. Um, primary care for the 21st century: ensuring a quality physician-led team for every patient. Um, anything else on this, Jerry? Before we move on, uh, I think you pretty much covered it all. I mean, we talked about having a personal physician, physician-directed medical practice, being oriented to the whole person, taking care of them as, a, as an individual rather than as a disease process. And I think that that's what this is talking about and saying that, you know, we need that team approach to be able to do it. And 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 I think their reply to that tweet was exactly right on. It's the outcomes that make the difference. And it's not so much patient outcomes of you need an A1C of six. It's patient outcomes of this person's health is improved. They're on their way to being a healthy individual. And, you know, we may have headed off some really nasty things coming down the pipe by keeping everybody on the same page and working together. And I think that's the key. I think if everybody just kind of swallows their pride and works together, uh, it, it will get done. Um, I guess on the line is our good friend, Dr. Jerry Tolbert, um, from TotalAccessPhysicians.com and also the host of the Here's to Your Health uh, podcast. Just a couple of other topics we're going to um, talk about here, Jerry. I mean, one of them is, uh, you know, National Primary Care Week is coming uh, October 8th through the 12th, and uh, – uh, something uh, from our friends at the uh, at Primary Care Progress, um, and they, they have this website called VoicesForPrimaryCare.org. Um, I encourage people to check that out. That gives uh, everything primary care. But the, something I, I want to uh, extract out of there is they have these photos, um, and you can go to photos.VoicesForPrimaryCare.org, and it's it's been generating a lot of buzz there, especially in the primary care slash family medicine community, where they have uh, you know people. Um, you know, holding up a sign saying why they love uh, family medicine. And uh, this started uh, popping up on my Twitter feed and my Facebook uh, feed here, and I encourage people to go there and, and check it out. And um, I know that you've been posting that stuff uh, too there, Jerry. Well, what do you think of it, and, and uh, have you got any reaction to some of the people you're talking to about this uh, really cool idea? I have gotten a little bit of response. I mean, a lot of people actually were, were fond. I posted, I reposted one of the, there's a, lady by the name of Jean O'Donnell, and, and patients here can put their names on here if they want to and, 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 uh, and you know, speak out as an individual. And she, uh, she on her little little placard, there's a little thought bubble that says primary care with an ellipsis, and then you're supposed to fill in what primary care has done or means to you. And her, her response was, primary care got me this far. And she's in her 90s, and uh, she looks like she's a pretty healthy lady up and about in a, in a beautiful-looking garden. And uh, I reposted that because that, that to me, it, it exemplifies exactly what we need to be doing. We need to be, we need to be putting out fires. We need to be being proactive and being more, um, uh, being more uh, a part of the patient's life and a part of their health care and a part of their just overall health than we are as physicians sometimes taking, taking um, more of an, of an active role. And that's exactly, you know, that report we were just talking about, that was part of what it was talking about. There's another one here I thought was really cool um, that says primary care means a doctor who knows your name without looking at a chart. Um, and, and I think that that, too, also exemplifies some of those things, that idea of a personal relationship. And that's what I think they're doing here is putting a face on on patients 
uh, and letting them say, hey, this is what I think about. This is what I think about when I think about primary care. Um, so it, it's really cool. I really and and people seem to like it. Yeah, there's a couple other ones here. One says uh, prevention is the best medicine, and uh, um, primary care is being rebuilt for you. Um, so go to uh, photos.voicesforprimarycare.org, and um, yeah, we should maybe do something on the show here or something. We should maybe try to you know join up on this deal as far as uh, National Primary Care Week, October 8th through the 12th. Uh, 2012, and, and I have a confession here, Jerry. That uh, you know, even when I was in medical school, you know, I, I really didn't uh, participate that much in National Primary Care Week, and I feel kind of bad about that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't participate as much on the the AMSA side as much as I did for our Family Medicine Interest Group. So I, I feel like I I definitely participated, and we made a big deal out of it as an FMIG. But, uh, but yeah, this belongs to somebody else as far as the idea, and we just kind of rode on their coattails and, and tried to help out as much as we could. So, but I understand exactly what you mean. It wasn't, a, um, it wasn't something that was one of my top priorities when I was a, when I was a med student. Well, that, that's, that, that, that's kind of one of my beefs. That's, that's kind of one of my, uh, you know, things that get me upset about things is that, uh, you know, when, when people try to put together some of these uh, awareness campaigns or or that type of thing, and, and uh, you know, I, I don't know how much collaboration is really out there because a lot of people, a lot of organizations, a lot of individual people, they just want to take credit for the whole idea. And, uh, you know, they, we have all these silos out here. Um, in primary care and family medicine, and uh, it gets me really upset sometimes when you know when somebody comes up with an idea, and uh, you know that people just don't want to kind of participate in it; they just want to have their own thing. And, and uh, I think that's something that really dilutes the message that we have sometimes. But uh, that's just kind of a random thought. I mean, you know, I, I wish it was some way that we could really come together and have our voices be one, rather than having all these silos out here. Sure. Uh, of course, anywhere you get two people, you get two opinions, and, and, and it goes from there. Um, and it usually goes south, unfortunately. It would be great, like you said, if we could all just kind of put all that aside and work together. And I, and I think that, that, to a certain extent, we're we're hopefully kind of trying to bridge some of those gaps, and, and we'll see what happens. You know, um, if we're going to lead teams, we gotta be, we've got to be uniters, not dividers, as a great man once said. And uh, so I think that, uh, you know, uniting people – under that same banner of let's take care of people. Don't call it being a doctor. Don't call it primary care. Don't call it, call it taking care of people because that's really what it is. <laughs> uh, all right. So just the last few minutes here, there's been a lot of people, a lot of, I think a lot of new people listening to this podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the show, downloading the show. Um, but I do want to show some love to our good uh, friend, Dr. Tolbert here. And uh, um, he's the host of the Here's to Your Health uh, podcast. And, uh, you know, for people who don't know anything about your podcast, why don't you kind of describe a little bit about it? Um, we'll kind of start from there. What, what is the Here's to Your Health podcast? My elevator's pitch for it is this. If you've ever wondered about something when it pertains to your health, this is my chance to kind of answer some of those questions. I, I sort of like to bust myths about some of these things. Like a couple weeks ago, I did a, a myth on green snot and why that's really not an indicator that there's anything horribly wrong with you and you're not going to die if your snot turns green. Um, you know, last week I talked a little bit about um, just this idea of, of um, you know, you know I, I guess the, framing it is, is kind of difficult sometimes because not all of them have a single topic, but but the the um, the idea behind them is more that, um, you know, 
let's talk about our health. Let's be real about things. Let's answer questions that people might have. Let's get out from under years and years and years of, well, my mom did it this way or my dad did it this way, and let's talk about the science of why we do the things we do. You know, some of the past episodes I've talked about vaccines and sleeping and, and antibiotics, and, and uh, you know, I use it occasionally as a soapbox. I talk about different forms of primary care and how they're provided. So there's, it's sort of a mishmash of things. But the idea is let's, let's actually have a conversation and, and talk about it from a, a factual standpoint rather than having all of these kind of rampant, not only myths, but just rampant untruths. They're not on purpose. I'm not going to call them lies, but it's these rampant untruths that kind of surrounds what we do in medicine and why we do it. Cool. And, and then uh, you just launched uh, your next season, and uh, I think you have a couple under your belt here. And, uh, um, you know, since we're live now, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, when would uh, you anticipating your next uh, episode that will be out probably towards the end of this month of September sometime? Uh, it actually may be hopefully within the next couple of days. It's going to depend on how busy I get. I've got a bunch of stuff going on tomorrow, but I've got I've just got to cut it. I've got the, a lot of the information already lined out and some of the recording done. I just have to cut it all together. Um, and I, that usually takes me a couple of hours, so I just have to have a time where I can sit down and do it. Uh, so hopefully well, for those uh, for those people who are listening live or who are going to be downloading this tonight, can you give us a little about the tease of what uh, what the episode is going to be about next? Sure. The next episode I'm working on right now is talking to your doctor. Uh, and it's it's mainly about people have asked me, you know, what do I need to know when I go in to talk to my doctor so I don't sound like I'm being pushy, but also so that I get myself heard. Cool. Cool. Very good. Very good. All right. And then, and you're on iTunes, so you just go to iTunes and uh, go to... Yes, uh, uh, iTunes, you can go to, just search for Here's to Your Health. It's the first podcast that pops up. And then also I've got a feed burner. It's just Feedburner dot. Uh, it's Um But yeah, you can access it multiple different ways. And I post to um, to Facebook and to um, Twitter. I'm uh, at Dr. Tolbert on Twitter. D R T O L B E R T. And uh, just if you go to Facebook.com front slash Dr. Tolbert. D R T O L B E R T. Those those are where most of my stuff shows up. Great, great. So, uh, so as we close up the show here, I mean, I know that uh, <laughs> um, you're going through some uh, huge uh, uh, life changes and things, and uh, <laughs> you can uh, and I don't want to uh, get that out there unless you don't want that out there. But uh, you know, you're you're very busy. You're you're, you're a, a family medicine superstar, going through a lot of different things. And uh, oh, I, I do want to mention the the your business here at Total Access Physicians. Dot com and if you go there, if you go there right now, well maybe wait till after the show. But when you go there, you'll see this really great picture of uh, Jerry and his dad there, right on the front there at totalaccessphysicians.com. And uh, uh, you have a nice little website there. I, I kind of like it. Uh, um, I know you I probably, don't have en- probably don't have enough time to you know have it where you want it to be, but uh, how it is right now looks pretty good. Thank you. Yeah, no, I designed it myself. I used a theme, but I uh, I did a lot of the graphics and the and the the just layout and changing around linking and stuff. Um, yeah, I, I really like the website. And you're right, there are a lot of things going on right now. Um, that business is a big part of what I'm doing right now. And, and uh, you know, I, I work another job to keep that business going because it's we're still brand new and we still haven't reached where we want to be with the number of patients we have. But uh, but we also, um, my wife and I are expecting our first child here in about three and a half weeks. Woo-hoo! Yeah, exactly. And uh, we've actually got a, a couple of... Um, couple of houses that we own that we weren't living in that we've now sold. 
Um, so that's another big woohoo. And uh, so, so honestly, yeah, this has been a this has been a really crazy couple of months here for me, getting all those things together and getting ready for all those big changes. But uh, but I still um, I still want to take the time to make sure that, that people are are getting the message out about this SM resolution SM revolution that we are uh, we're we're a part of now. Um, is is it true that you're crowdsourcing the name of the child? You're going to have people vote on it, or it's, was that uh, inaccurate? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's actually that's actually a myth. Um, I will bust that here now. Uh, and no, she she's got a name. She's actually this is interesting. You know, my wife and I used to joke around uh, about names, and we talked about names, and we we found one that we both actually liked at the same time, and that was several years ago, and we just saved it. We said, you know, if we both agree on it, then there's really, you know, that's not going to happen very often. You know, there are times when we can barely agree on what we're having for dinner. Uh, so so agreeing on a daughter's name, that's a big deal. So. Wow, that's great. That's great. All right. Uh, you have anything else to uh, to mention there, uh, Jerry, uh, before the uh, end of the show here? I don't think I have anything else to plug yet. Uh, there's a lot of stuff <laughs> working on hopefully that'll, that'll uh, take take root and move forward here, but we'll see what happens. All right. Well, good. Well, I mean, before we end the show here, I mean, we do have a couple of minutes here, and I, I know you kind of uh, said a little bit uh, already, but uh, and any kind of closing thoughts for the show or, or the people that are actually listening to us right now? I, re- I very much appreciate everybody listening to us, but uh, anything else to kind of uh, close up the show here today, Jerry? Uh, yeah. I, I I think the big thing is you can't stop the signal. There's a um, there's a a lot of things that need to be said, a lot of conversations that need to be had, and I think we need to all work towards communicating better, um, both as physicians and as patients and as advocates. Uh, we need to be uh, available to to converse about these things and to meet in the middle on some issues and to stand our ground on other issues. And I think that that's part of what we've talked about today, that report is about standing your ground and it's about meeting in the middle and it's about utilizing resources excuse me, to the best ability that we have. And I think uh, I think... Today, today and tomorrow and, and from here on out, as long as we're conversing and having these types of conversations, that uh, we're going to get somewhere. It's just going to take time. Very good. Very good. Very good closing thoughts. There is our, our guest has been Dr. Jerry Tolbert, the host of the Here's Your Health podcast. Uh, Google it. Uh, download it. Live it. Love it. Enjoy it. Um, also, uh, TotalAccessPhysicians.com. Check out their business website as well. So, thanks a lot, Jerry. We'll talk to you uh, uh, down the road, and uh, yeah, good luck with everything. Uh, very exciting time for. I'm, I'm so excited for you. It's just, you've got so much stuff going on. I don't know how you do it all. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it, and I appreciate the chance, as always, to to jaw with you a little bit. <laughs> all right, we'll talk to you very soon. All right. All right, kids, that's it. Uh, I, I've gotten feedback on this show that, I, that this show's too long and that I talk too much, which is true. Uh, but if you do, just fast forward to where you want to do it. So, But I've, I'm under 60 minutes for this show, so thank you so much for that. My name is Mike Savella. I just go to familymedicinerocks.com. And, uh, yeah, yes, we do have an iTunes feed for this show as well. So for those of you who are on iTunes who just upgraded to iOS 6, uh, and uh, just uh, just put us in your iTunes feed. You, you, you just download it anytime, and uh, it'll be on your device. Uh, you can listen to it 
anytime as well. Also, I'm on LinkedIn as well, MikeSavella.com, MikeSavella.tv gets you to the YouTube page where it has my TV interviews like this very week. You can check that out um, as well. Uh, so thank, thanks again, everybody who listened to the show. Uh, the last couple of shows have just been fabulous. Uh, we've been in the top 10, the top five in our category here at uh, Block Talk Radio. I want to thank you so much for that. You can leave feedback at uh, FamilyMedicineRocks.com. You can also go to the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash FamMedRocks. So enjoy the fall out there, uh, kids. Uh, uh, follow me on Twitter at uh, Dr. Mike Savilla. That should give you all the show updates and also on the Facebook page as well. Thanks again to Dr. Jerry Tolbert, my good friend. Uh, and uh, thanks, everybody, for listening live and also people who have uh, downloaded the show as well. Have a good week. Have a good weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you all very soon. Take care.